Welcome, everybody, to episode two of Generation Jihad. Uh, we hope you liked episode one, and if you didn't listen to episode one, you can still download it online or at our website in one of the many different places that the podcast is appearing these days. Um, obviously, everybody is obsessed with coronavirus, and uh, if you were like us, you're probably cooped up at home and have nothing to do. Uh, well, hopefully this podcast will be a little bit of a relief for you. However, uh, unfortunately, we don't have any cheery topics. If you've been following Long War Journal, uh, happy is not really our gig. That's not what we do. Uh, we, we're all about uh, jihadism and what's going on around the world and America's efforts to combat jihadism. Uh, I'm, of course, Tom Jocelyn, and I'm here with Bill Roggio. Hello. Uh, and we're going to follow up on last week's uh, first issue of the podcast, the first, I guess, edition of the podcast, by talking about uh, a brief update about what's going on in Afghanistan um, we're recording this about three weeks after the withdrawal agreement between the Taliban and the U.S. was signed. Um, as we outlined in that the first uh, episode of the podcast, that wasn't a peace deal. It was a withdrawal deal. Um, the Taliban certainly doesn't see it as a peace deal. And uh, Bill has been tracking the U.S. military's comments on this, and they seem to be surprised that the Taliban has kept fighting. And Bill is not surprised, and neither am I. And so, Bill, why don't you explain a little bit about what U.S. military officials have said and, and basically why they're wrong and, and sort of why leadership is basically out to lunch on this? Hey, Tom, exactly. And uh, you, you, you took the words right out of my mouth. The U.S. military has been out to lunch when it comes to the Taliban and its resumption of full-scale military operations after the withdrawal deal was signed. So uh, as usual, we are on the same page. Um, there's been plenty of comments from top officials and generals that demonstrate just how clueless the military sounds on this issue. Uh, S- Secretary of Defense Mark Esper and General Kenneth McKenzie, the head of U.S. Central Command, They've distinguished themselves um, on this issue. So just days after the Taliban stepped up its attacks on the Afghan military and government, um, Esper suggested that the Taliban, quote, hardliners, end quote, were failing to honor an agreement to reduce violence. And then just last week in in testimony to the Senate uh, Armed Services Committee, CENTCOM Commander McKenzie uh, took this argument to, to the next level. Um, by claiming that it was possible for a, quote, splinter, end quote, Taliban faction to be carrying out these attacks. I'm going to read uh, McKenzie's comments in full just so you could understand just how, how ridiculous this is. So, quote, so the question is, do the Taliban attacks represent a core strategy of the group? They're going to continue the attacks or is it a splinter of the group and they are not monolithic? We're still assessing that. If it's directed from the top, then obviously that's not a good thing because it shows that they're not acting in good faith, end quote. Um, look. So, Bill, Bill, what the heck is he talking about? I mean, this is just completely out of left field, right? I mean, you've yeah. read the agreement. I've read the agreement. We read Taliban propaganda every day. There's been nothing ever that the Taliban has said that they're going to lay down arms, that they're going to engage in a ceasefire or have a nationwide reduction in violence, right? I mean, there's nothing in yeah. any of this that says that. I mean, what is he talking about? Yeah, they, there, there isn't. I mean, look, the, the, the public part of the agreement is three and a half pages long. Uh, I We've linked to it on Long War Journal. I recommend everyone go and read it and go ahead and search for the word ceasefire, reduction in violence. You won't find a single hit on that. So what some people are going to argue is, well, no, this is in the secret annex. So, so there's a secret part of the deal. But um, U.S. congressmen have come out and said that there is nothing in this that requires the Taliban to do anything in these secret annexes. 
all that's required, all the, all the secret annexes outline are what the how the U.S. military is um, going to withdraw. So yeah, it's complete nonsense. I mean, so you have Esper suggesting right that that tal- that the rogue Taliban commanders are carrying out attacks, and you have you have McKenzie, the CENTCOM commander, you know, questioning if it's a splinter. I mean, they're basically saying the same thing. But look, if if you actually see what the Taliban well, and look, listen, let me take a step back here. The Taliban said the day of the that the deal was signed, it spoke two of its spokesmen came out and said, "Yeah, we're going to continue attacking the Afghan government. There's nothing in this deal that re- that requires us to, to conduct a ceasefire reduction in violence." And that's exactly what they're doing. And not only are they doing it, they're celebrating it. The Taliban is publishing reports of its attacks daily. And now keep in mind, they don't publish every single account. They only publish what people or what their their correspondents or or, um, commanders send the information. And these attacks are, they're published on Voice of Jihad. And they're throughout throughout the nation, right, Bill? I mean, it's all across Afghanistan. So basically, if if the Taliban was going rogue or you just had hardliners, you basically have this problem throughout the entire country. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Right. So- these attacks, I've tracked them. I put them in a spreadsheet. I'm, I'm up to March 15th right now. There's been 248 attacks in 28 of Afghanistan's 34 provinces. So if you have a rogue commander, if this is a Taliban splinter, then it's a Taliban, a rogue Taliban commander or a Taliban splinter group that's operating throughout all of Afghanistan. But of course, that's ridiculous when the Taliban itself says, yes, we are carrying out these attacks and here's our, here's our reports of them on their own website. So when I, I go back, I think the, the most crazy thing that, that McKenzie says, he says, we're still assessing that means the U.S. military is still trying to figure out if this is a Taliban strategy or if it's some splinter faction. He's trying to answer a question that the Taliban already answered for them. Just go read Voice of Jihad. He doesn't have to. It's not a heavy lift. It's in English. So if you so there's one of two things happening here, either the U.S. military is clueless they're, uh, or they know exactly what's happened and they're trying to make excuses and downplay the violence and pin it on splinters and rogues and things of this nature. And we've had, we, Bill, we've documented through the years, I mean, there's a lot of wish casting on the American side and all this, right? I mean, a good friend of ours who we won't name, who co- covers this very closely uh, and has been working on these issues for years, you know, that's his phrase was wish casting, right, Bill? Yeah. I mean, he, it's a perfect know, and, phrase. It really yeah. explains what's happening Throughout this entire Afghan process uh, of U.S. Mili- U.S. military intelligence, State Department, government, they've just all been w- wish casting. By that we mean they're just putting out a wish and they're they're casting it out and hoping that it sticks. We'll say the Taliban really isn't conducting violence or it's a splinter because that's my wish that happens. I wish the Taliban would. Um, we're going to say. You know, I wish the Taliban would turn on Al Qaeda, and then we'll just cast that out. And, and Tom, that get that gets us to a, a, a perhaps the most important question here about the about this peace deal. Now, keep in mind that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo and uh, Zalmay Khalizade, who's the U.S. Special Representative for Afghan um, uh, for peace in Afghanistan. Um, you struggle to say peace in Afghanistan because yeah, right? not because he's not he's not delivering peace, folks. So that's, I mean, it's, it's it's special representative for something, okay? Uh, yeah, but but it ain't peace. He's yeah. the chief uh, negotiator for yeah, no. this horrible deal with the Taliban. They both claim that this agreement um, calls for the Taliban to renounce and even target Al Qaeda and its allied affiliate groups. But what does Tom tell us? What this deal? What does it really say about Al Qaeda? What is 
or what does it say that the Taliban is required to do? Are they are they supposed to be targeting Al Qaeda? Are they have they renounced them? Or what's what's the real thing? Well, I mean, the thing is, Bill. I mean, you said you pointed readers to that we've posted the copies of the agreement on Long War Journal, and I guarantee listeners that if you've rented a if you've leased a car or even rented a car, even, quite frankly, or purchased a car with financing, you've signed a contract that's much more involved than this piece of paper is. Okay, This is just over three pages long. This is a pretty uh, shallow document. Um, however, it, it's, uh, you know, there's only a couple passages. We've talked about this at length. Quite frankly, folks, I'm sick of talking about this myself because it's something we've covered in depth for so long now. But we have to keep covering it because I don't think anybody else will. And Secretary Pompeo and Zalmay Khalilzad basically sold the American public on the idea that they were delivering finally this real break between the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. After a generation of fighting alongside one another, They were finally, the Taliban was finally going to turn on Al-Qaeda. Um, you know, and this, this relationship goes back to the 1990s, well before 2001. Uh, so far, you know, as I said at the outset, we're about three weeks into the withdrawal agreement. We've seen no evidence of that at all. I mean, you can take what they said about the agreement, Pompeo and Clozad, and you can see that none of what they said has come to fruition. In fact, there's a, a pretty funny uh, anecdote about this is that um, in recent days, uh, Clozad tweeted out that he, he was welcoming the Taliban released a statement saying that they, you know, had basically launched another offensive against ISIS in Kunar province in eastern Afghanistan. And what was in, and, and Zalmay Khalilzad uh, gets gets on Twitter and he praises the Taliban and says, oh, you know, this is basically, you know, this is great that they're taking the fight to, to ISIS. And this the language in their statement about taking the fight to ISIS mirrors their commitments on al-Qaeda. Well, uh, that's not a very good comparison for Khalilzad because the Taliban, of course, has denounced ISIS and fought ISIS routinely because ISIS rejects the Taliban's Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan. That's their totalitarian sort of emirate that they're trying to resurrect in Afghanistan. ISIS wants power for itself. Al-Qaeda doesn't reject it at all. Al-Qaeda's been loyal to the Islamic Emirate of Afghanistan since the 1990s, and you, we've been tracking this every day across multiple channels. You won't find anything from the Taliban along the lines of what they say about ISIS. They'll condemn ISIS unequivocally. They've said nothing like that about Al-Qaeda, and they certainly haven't turned their guns on al-Qaeda, um, which is what they do with ISIS. But anyway, the, we get now to the funny part, which is that a Taliban spokesman who's on Twitter, and of course, this is how the Taliban has been normalized in all this. If you had an ISIS spokesman, of course, his Twitter account would be down pretty quickly. But the Taliban, they can operate with impunity on Twitter seemingly for years. And, um, and real quick, Tom, the, I believe Zabi Bullah Mujahideen, his Twitter account has been active. They for at least two years now. It's been a long time since they take it down. And as soon as they take it down, he'll put it back up with a new, just adds a number to it, and it stays up for another year or two. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's one of the ways the Taliban has been normalized throughout all this, which is really absurd if you think about it. But in any event, uh, Suhail Shaheen, one of the Taliban's mouthpieces, gets on Twitter and basically rebuts Khalilzad and says that, you know, we're not going to, you know, we essentially, and I'm just paraphrasing, he says, you know, basically we've been fighting ISIS all along and we're not going to have anybody give it a, our, our, our legitimate sort of jihad a different color. In other words, don't try and portray this as something that we're doing in, uh, you know, as part of the agreement with the U.S., it's really, you know, this is what we've been doing all along, and we reject ISIS. I thought that was sort of, you know, it's sort of one of the many embarrassing things in all this, I think, is that the U.S. has been just so uh, adamant about groveling to the Taliban this whole time. Then here they are on Twitter basically smacking it, smacking down the State Department every chance they can. Uh, in any event, you know, on top of all this, al-Qaeda uh, released a three-page statement in Arabic. You can see our summary at Long War Journal. Praising the Taliban's victory. Uh, you know, if uh, the Taliban's going to turn on Al-Qaeda, nobody's told Al-Qaeda yet. 
uh, they're, they're still seeing this as a, an unequivocal win. And throughout that statement, they refer to Habatul Akhundzada, who is the Emir of the Taliban, the supreme leader of the Taliban, so to speak. Al-Qaeda refers to him as the Emir of the Faithful, and this is the same term that ISIS adopted for Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. This is the, the title that the, the, the would-be caliph would have uh, given to him. And Al-Qaeda is still referring to Abu al Akhundzada in these terms, in these sort of glowing, you know, this, with using this glowing honorific. In addition, and this is probably the funniest part about the Al-Qaeda statement, is that they actually called on all Mujahideen to abide by the terms of the deal. <laughs> so, so you know, you have, I mean, this, this is just ridiculous, folks. I mean, you got the Secretary of State of the United States of America goes on national TV and tells, tries to sell the people on the idea that, that the Taliban is now going to destroy, that's his word, destroy Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. And a couple weeks later, you have Al Qaeda saying, "Yep, we won. This is great, and everybody should abide by this deal because it's the it's the best deal uh, out there." I mean, you know, you can't have two you couldn't have two two different uh, sort of views of the thing, and that's because the deal itself. They asked me what is the deal itself called for, and basically the only specific mention of Al Qaeda is that Al Qaeda, the Taliban, supposedly not going to allow Al Qaeda to plan attacks against the U.S. or its allies. There are all sorts of problems with that, of course, including the fact that we documented they've said that all along. They've said something even even broader than that all along. And then there are serious provisions that could be read as saying um, they're not going to let al-Qaeda operate inside Afghanistan any longer. Um, we're, uh, we're still setting up our verification page. I'm a little behind on setting that up. We're going to set up a verification page to show what this would take to actually sort of have the Taliban turn on al-Qaeda. So far, again, we're about three weeks out. And none of that's happened, um, you know. So instead, we have Al Qaeda relishing in the, in the deal, and we haven't seen any evidence that um, that Al Qaeda feels like they've been betrayed here, uh, right? Bell, have you seen anything? You you follow, you 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 go after you go on Voice of Jihad probably more than I do. You know, you're you're sort of addicted to it. I think I don't know what would happen if they got taken down at this point. I mean, you, you read the stuff all every all day, every day, right? Yeah, so, that's I mean, absolutely true. And you know, my my philosophy on that is if they're not going to make a serious effort to take it down, just leave it up so I can read it. I mean, don't make my life hell by trying to find out where they're publishing day in and day out. But you know, that's the the problem with Twitter, and that's a whole other separate issue. But yeah, there's been, you know, since the, the deal has been signed, uh, as you, um, you're you you're tracking this on Al-Qaeda websites, I'm looking at the Taliban, there has been exactly zero attacks against Al-Qaeda. And, and how, many, how, many, how many attacks against the Afghan government is the Taliban? How many of you track so far? I mean, Again, this is just a subset of what the Taliban, and this sure. is as of March 15th, uh, it just takes a while to collate this data. There's been 248 attacks claimed by the Taliban. Now, again, there's, that's, that number is probably closer to 1,000 because they probably only get about a quarter to a half of the of the attacks actually published on. And those um, are 100 percent against Afghan forces, or I guess there's some against ISIS, too, because they're claiming that offensive in Kunar against ISIS. So I guess that. Yeah, these what I'm tracking right there is just against the um, just against Afghan forces. OK, yeah. so those are the number against Afghan forces. Plus, we have this campaign against ISIS. And then we've got a grand total to date of Taliban attacks against Al Qaeda of drumroll. Bill, how many? That would be zero. And zero. I do want to reiterate a point that you made, Tom. Look, as soon as the Islamic State popped its head up in Afghanistan five years, six years ago now, the Taliban targeted it and targeted it relentlessly. So for Khalizade uh, uh, to characterize the Taliban's attacks against the Islamic State as, as a welcoming sign, 
that's that's just bunk. I mean, it, they are natural enemies. The Taliban wants a monopoly on the jihad in Afghanistan, and they will go up against anyone who challenges that. And the fact that there's been zero strikes against al-Qaeda tells you that they are close allies because al-Qaeda, as you noted, is on board with the Taliban strategy. Yeah, you know, in fact, Muhammad Mansour, the second emir of the Taliban, uh, released a statement, you know, rejecting uh, basically ISIS's intrusion into the jihad in Afghanistan when it happened. And Muhammad Mansour, as we documented, of course, was an al-Qaeda man. He was very fond of al-Qaeda. Uh, and, you know, basically, we don't see any evidence that the current emir of the Taliban has said anything otherwise. Habatul Akhanzada, we're still waiting for anything from him showing that he disapproves of al-Qaeda or is renouncing them or disavowing you know, the head of Al-Qaeda's allegiance to him. You know, basically, folks, I mean, if you, if you if you catch our drift after all these years, you know, drift is probably the right word. The U.S. has been at drift for a long time in Afghanistan, doesn't really understand what the heck they're doing. Um, and there are a lot of, lot, of, lot of ways to critique this war effort. And that's certainly what we've been doing for a long time. I think what, di- what basically distinguishes us, though, from some other critics of the war is that we're not Taliban apologists. And I, I think I'm not doing a whole episode, Bill, just on this, this whole phenomenon of Taliban apologia, because these are really the most sort of execrable people out there, right? I mean, these, and they're, you know, right? I, I can't hold back. I mean, my disdain for them is really, uh, it shines through, I'd say. It shows through, right? It absolutely, they, it, it's yeah. one of the more repulsive things that we've seen. I mean, they are making excuses and apologia for a group that harbored Al-Qaeda and allowed it to plot 9-11 and train its fighters and train the hijackers. So, you know, anyone who um, who wants to uh, hold water, carry water for the Taliban, you know, that is something that uh, I, again, repulsive, just really merely scratches the surface. And for those of you waiting for the Taliban to denounce al-Qaeda. Oh, I'm, I'm waiting, Bill. Bill, I'm waiting. I'm, I strongly I'm, suggest you I, every don't day. hold your breath. Yeah. Bill, I'm holding my breath. I'm holding it. I'm going to hold it right now. I'm waiting. I, you know, this is this is the most important uh, thing ever. I mean, I've been promised a huge break here, so I, I don't want to be too sarcastic, folks. But you know, if you understood how how much Bill and I have been covering this every day of our lives, and how sort of ridiculous some of the things are that we're hearing being said right now, compared to the body of facts that we are aware of, uh, I think that that would explain sort of my sarcasm. But anyway, uh, let's talk about some of the second order effects here um, of the Taliban U.S. withdrawal deal. Um, you know, interestingly enough, uh, we haven't seen any Al Qaeda branches, right? Bill reject this deal. There's nobody's come out across Al Qaeda has uh, groups in you know Yemen and Syria and East Africa, West Africa. They have groups you know all over the place, and there's been there's been a peep uh, critiquing the deal. They've, I've seen. Have you seen anything, Bill? I've no. Seen anything. As a matter of fact, they're they're celebrating the deal. They think it's a good thing, and they're hoping that um, other countries will follow. And, and, and not only that, but we've, you know, we have some analysis up at Long War Journal, and we're going to have some more coming up, where Al-Qaeda's West African branch, the group for the support, but just in English, the name of the group is, the name of the organization is the Group for the Support of Islam and Muslims. And I always like to get that out there because it just sounds so benign and so lovely, doesn't it? I mean, they're just a group for supporting Islam and Muslims. It sounds like they're just there to just there to help. Uh, however, it is Al-Qaeda's branch in West Africa. They're centered in Mali and the surrounding countries. And they very quickly released a statement saying, basically, if France gets out of the region, we're willing to support, we're willing to negotiate with the Malian government, uh, with forces that be, uh, and sort of, uh, you know, move forward. And we, I've got a, a video that I'm processing right now from the emir of Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb. Uh, and he says basically the same thing. We'll talk to all the governments in the region just as long as France gets out. 
and we can negotiate therefore on our terms, which is, so again, this is all coming out as, as sort of second order effects of this Taliban U.S. deal. And none of that sounds to us like uh, a real betrayal is coming, right, Bill? Yeah, exactly. It's a deal so good that all of Al-Qaeda's branches would love to sign it. Yeah, well, that is well said. Um, we're going to keep this episode this week a little short, um, mainly because everybody's tied up on coronavirus, and uh, as we are too. I mean, you know, and I, you know, believe me, Bill and I could talk about Afghanistan for the next three hours, but we'd, we'd probably be boring you at that point. Uh, so we're going to keep it short and sweet this week. Um, we are working on lining up some guests uh, for future episodes, um, people who can come on and talk about different issues uh we're gonna we, we're also uh gonna be recording some different episodes as well uh that we're working on I'm working on one about osama bin laden's files and our quest to get those released and what they say and what they don't say and how some of that analysis went uh, awry we're gonna try and get some people who were formerly in the intel world and in the counterterrorism world to come on the show and we're going to try and talk to some journalists and some other policymaker types who can maybe illuminate their aspect of all this but, uh, you know, the bottom line, as we said in the first episode, uh, the jihadists are going to keep fighting even if the U.S. doesn't. And so that's certainly the case in Afghanistan. And we're going to talk about those other theaters in upcoming episodes. Bill? We hope you enjoyed this episode of Generation Jihad. We'll be releasing a new show each week going forward. So be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. If you like this show, please do us a favor and go rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Thanks again for joining us here at Generation Jihad, and we'll see you again next week.